Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 108, Leading with the Five Choices to Extraordinary Productivity, featuring Corey Kogan from Franklin Covey. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Well, I have good news and bad news for you. I'll give you the bad news first. Nearly half of your company's payroll is being spent on things that don't matter to your strategic goals. That's based on results of a six-year global study of 350,000 people by the firm Franklin Covey. Now here's the good news. You can change your practices and the culture of your team to automatically self-orient around the important things that really make an impact. The Five Choices to Extraordinary Productivity is a new book that builds on the latest neuroscience plus decades of experience and research in the time management field. According to Corey Kogan and her co-authors, the result is time management redefined for the 21st century. Corey Kogan is the global productivity practice leader for Franklin Covey. She joins us in this episode to tell us about the five choices to extraordinary productivity. Corey Kogan, welcome to The Engaging Leader. Thank you, Jesse. It's a pleasure to be here. Corey, when I started my career in the mid-90s, I read 10 Natural Laws by Franklin Covey's founder and used a Franklin planner to become much more productive. And then a few years later, I read Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and became not only more productive, but proactive. So for, from 10 Laws to Seven Habits... Why does time management today in the 21st century focus on five choices? Well, Jesse, that's a really good question to start with. And, uh, you know, Hiram Smith was sort of the father of time management and Stephen was the uh, father of um, productivity and leadership. And so, you know, Hiram's 10 laws and the seven habits, uniquely to them, if you will, are principle-based laws uh, around overall productivity and, you know, interaction with others as well. Stephen Seven Habits, the public victory. And we've taken those natural laws and taken the best out of them and distilled them down into these five powerful areas um, that can really help people hone in on feeling accomplished at the end of the day. So in today's world for us in the 21st century, that's what we are trying to accomplish for people's personal productivity and an organization's overall productivity. And the seven habits continues actually and takes that to the next level of the uh, public victory as well. In the book, you mentioned the productivity paradox of the 21st century, which is very easy for me to say, um, which is about it's, it's both easier and harder than ever to be productive and feel accomplished. Why is that true today? Well, you know, technology is a wonderful thing. And, and you know, a few years ago, even back to your other question, we had a look at our own 
uh, work and say, you know, we better look at what the problems really are today so we could pull those natural laws forward and make their application extremely relevant. And we started with that paradox that it's both easier and harder than ever to achieve extraordinary productivity. And, it be, you know, it is easy. You look around. I mean, even us doing this, uh, you know, interview together and the technology we're using, et cetera, um, it's just it's a great time to be alive, actually. And yet technology has created this unstoppable flow of everything coming in and we just don't know how to deal with it. It's created a whole new set of problems that people don't even realize they have yet and don't know what to do with it. So everybody just feels overwhelmed at the end of the day because the technology has enabled that. That's a very good way to look at it. It's the difference between ending your day feeling accomplished versus feeling overwhelmed. And I think most of us who are knowledge workers and leaders know that feeling of getting to the end of the day and thinking to yourself, I've been so busy all day, but what the heck did I get accomplished? It's a very unfulfilling feeling. And uh, I have been practicing, since I read the book, The Five Choices, over the last two weeks, I've made some tweaks in my own personal productivity system. And I have to say, it has made a difference. I have ended more days feeling accomplished, feeling like, wow, I had a great day at work. So let's briefly discuss what those five choices are. The first two choices are focused on decision management. Why don't you tell us about the first one? Okay, so just as as a run up to that, you know, we said that it's, you know, this technology paradox has really created new problems for us. And the biggest problem that we have is we're overwhelmed by the amount of decisions that we have to make every day. Every email is a decision. uh, Every demand is a decision. And we're just linearly trying to handle them all. That's why we end up at the end of the day feeling like, gosh, I was so busy, but I might have, I missed some of the high value stuff that I need to get done. So you're right. Those first two choices really help you master those skills. And choice one, act on the important, don't react to the urgent, is the process that we provide so that people can discern all of the incoming and mindfully make decisions about every single thing that's coming in. So what we say is that with choice one, we give you the process whereby you get to pause, clarify, and decide on every single incoming in order to get the greatest return on the moment. So we're trying to shake people loose from just almost hysterically answering emails as they come in But really looking at them intentionally and saying, wait a minute, you know, this one is urgent. I need to answer this right now. Yeah, this one is a, we call a quadrant two. It is not urgent. It's really important. I'm going to schedule, you know, this for later. Um, This is just a distraction. I'm going to get rid of it. Those kinds of things, um, because we're not doing that today. So act on the important, don't react to the urgent, is the process of discernment of all things incoming. So for folks who are familiar with the, 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 the long-time approach of Franklin Covey, you, you still maintain the use of the time matrix where you, you sort of look at all the stuff that you may spend your time doing and break it into four quadrants, quadrant one uh, being the, the stuff that's urgent and important, and quadrant two being the stuff that is important but not urgent. 
And then quadrant three is urgent, but it's not important. And unfortunately, a lot of us spend way too much time doing that quadrant three stuff. And quadrant four is is purely time wasters. It's neither important nor urgent. And you encourage us to, to really identify the things that are truly important, even though they're not urgent, because that's basically an investment of your time. Well, you know, and it's interesting, uh, the time matrix is a natural law. It's one of those principles. Things are urgent and important. It's a combination of one of those. So we've pulled those forward. And it's funny because a lot of people go, oh, yeah, I, I know that I know the time matrix from the seven habits and all that kind of stuff. With the five choices, it really is about application. Let's do something with the time matrix. And so it is, you know, this discernment, every single thing incoming, you have to ask yourself, is it urgent and important? Do I need to do it right this minute or not? Uh, is it urgent and or, or urgent and not important? Is it just a distraction? I'll tell you, quadrant two, not urgent and important, which is the quadrant of extraordinary productivity, I just want to tell you really is the quadrant of action. It's where our high impact goals are, our proactive work, learning, renewal, strategic thinking. And I think sometimes people think that that is sort of that nice covey place to be (laughs) idealistic. Um, And people will say to me, I don't I don't have time for that. Um, and that's a fallacy. You, this is hard work, Jesse. There's nothing easy about feeling accomplished at the end of the day, but it's very doable when you're, you let your mind think like this and you really get clear. So when it comes to quadrant two, uh, important, not urgent, sometimes I'll hear from people, oh yeah, that, um, that quadrant two, I, I, uh, you know, that's a nice place to be. I don't have time for that, that nice covey place to be. I don't have time for that. And to be honest, Jesse, that is the quadrant of action. You know, this work is not easy. It's not easy to feel accomplished at the end of the day, but it can be done. And it's easier than you think when you take the time to get really clear on what's important and make sure things stay important and not urgent. And think about how do I minimize quadrants one three and four to give me the oxygen I need to be able to get to quadrant two. So, uh, you know, this is very application based. Really, this is this is foundational to really feel accomplished at the end of the day. Yeah, it, I find it, it, it means a lot fewer emergencies down the road, a lot fewer fire drills, a lot fewer wasted meetings because the people, myself included, are coming, if we do have a meeting, we come to that meeting prepared. Whereas, and that's hard to do. It's hard to sit down and do advanced preparation or to do preventive maintenance type action. But it's just, it's so much easier just to call a meeting. Hey, let's just get together and talk about this stuff. And a lot of times that's just such a waste of time. Well, it is. I mean, I can spend a few hours talking about the costs of unproductive meetings. And uh, just really quick, one organization that I work with, the leadership was great. They went through, you know, the five choices with me in, in the work session. And they sat down and looked at all their quadrant threes. And uh, the chief operating officer, thank God he told me this in a phone call, he happened to say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I we really focused on this. And we erased uh, six hours of meetings per week. Hmm. Wow. I mean, that's big. Yeah, six hours that you can do something truly productive with. Right. Well, the second choice is go for extraordinary, don't settle for ordinary. What do you mean by that? 
So it's the second half of decision management skills. And once you get it around discernment and quadrant two, then we really seal the deal with clarifying what's really important to do to, you know, what's important to us. And we do that through the identification of our most important roles in life right now. And again, this is pulled from the seven habits where Stephen have, you know, has people look at their roles to think about their long-term mission statement. Who do they want to be? We took that and said, okay, let's take that to today. Let's just take the few roles that are really important in our life today because they're going to change. But right now, and keep it small, identify the few that are really important, evaluate how you think you're doing in them. And I mean on paper, and this is in the book, on paper, we call it labeling and reappraising in the, in the neuroscience world, really will be a powerful exercise you may sort of know it, but getting it in front of you, how are you doing? And then creating what we call quadrant two role statements, which is the vision of success of what success looks like in those few roles in your life. And then that becomes the framework for your brain to make the highest value decisions every day about what you should be acting on and what you should not. I like that you said these are the your most important roles right now because those change and there's a, a a risk that we have of identifying well there's I have eight different roles I have 10 different roles and that's just too many to juggle to 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 create an extraordinary focus on but we go through different phases of life and usually you can how how many goals would you generally uh recommend that someone try to focus on at any given time well, you know, everybody is different with roles. I personally stick to about four. Uh, I And I strongly recommend, you know, in the book we might say five to seven. I, I really think six is sort of the max. Uh, and again, it doesn't mean that you're not going to do other roles. It's just this intensity of focus right now. And not only do, you, do your roles change over time to different roles, but even when you think about your role as a parent today, if you have a three-year-old, your vision of success in your parenting to that child will look different than when that child is 16. And so that's why I'm very strong about saying, think about who you are in that role today and what a vision of success looks like in what that role requires now and change it accordingly as time goes by. I... As I was reading the book, I jotted down the four goals that were most um, relevant to me right now. And they were, for example, um, family engager. Uh, my, my children are all roughly teenagers and, uh, and, the, and my wife. And so it's not so much me doing the types of activities I did when the kids were little. I'm actually just trying to stay engaged in their lives. And I'm trying to engage their thinking about important ideas so one was family engager, and I and then I decided I like this engager sort of approach. Let me carry that through with my other roles. Uh, so I'm on three different board of directors for nonprofit organizations. So I thought I'm I, I don't want to be a community leader or a community organizer. I'm a community engager. Mm-hmm. And similarly, I don't really want to be driving my team uh, in the business world. So I want to engage my team and, and help them 
take leadership roles. So I'm a business engager. And then this last one's going to sound kind of corny, but in, it, it's about my personal well-being. And I thought, I, it's, it's, again, it's about engaging myself in, in health and well-being and um, physical and spiritual health. And so I'm, it's, it's really about being a personal well-being engager. So I, I just picked four. And you talked, I think, got away from the idea of necessarily trying to keep life balanced, but used the word harmony, that in any given season, um, you're, you're going to feel more fulfilled if, you're, if your activities in the different roles are creating a sort of harmony together. Well, and that's the life wheel, uh, you know, when you're, you're putting down your roles and roles and goals are different. I, I just uh, want to make that make that clear. The goals will come out of the identified role statements. But it, when you look at this, you know, we say work-life balance, but, um, you know, that terminology sort of comes a little out of the industrial age. I work eight hours, I go home. How do I balance this? And, you know, the world is different. You know, we might work, you know, again, because of the technology, you know, I might, uh, and there's so many stories in the book about this. It's really us looking at how do we harmonize these roles together in what is now a 24-hour cycle of life, really not clearly delineated by the eight-hour work shift and then home. Yeah, I like that. It seems a, a healthier, more realistic approach to managing those different roles in life. So identify the, the roles that are most important to you right now and then set some goals in those areas that help you be extraordinary, not just settling for ordinary. Yeah, and, and just, Jesse, the difference between the two, the, the role statement is this motivating, purpose-driven, which is really important to execution, you know, set of concrete guidelines. Um, you won't find a particular measure in them. It's not, I'm going to, you know, lose 10 pounds by the end of, you know, the year. It's I, as a, you know, engaging myself, like you said, want to be a healthy role model for my children. That's the role statement. So you're making decisions in your life about that. And then you choose one or two things, not a lot, just one or two measurable goals that out of everything you have to do, because you're really busy, that you say to yourself, boy, if I just did that one thing in the midst of the craziness, at the end of the year, I'd, f I'd feel like I really was a role model. So I might say that the goal is I'm going to lose 10 pounds by the end of December. Oh, that's good. So those first two choices are focused on decision management. The next two are focused on attention management. Tell us about number three. Well, schedule the big rocks, don't sort gravel. Again, a very uh, cubby-esque uh, metaphor. The um, bucket, if you put all the gravel in first, you can't get the big rocks in. So if you start over and you put the big rocks in first, then the gravel falls around it. That's the metaphor for important versus not important. So we say, get that graphic in your head. You've got to know principally that the most important things have to get scheduled first, and then all the little stuff will fall in around it. So the planning tools are absolutely essential, and we call this the 30-10 promise. 30 minutes before the, the week starts to get into what we call your thinking brain, you got to be reflective, pull out your role statements, your master task list, and identify the most, again, not a load, a few of the most important things you need to do in your roles. And before Monday morning hits, get them in your calendar. 
the more specific you are, meaning getting it into a calendar, getting it into a time slot, the higher the probability of accomplishment by two to three hundred percent. So before the week starts, get those big rocks, those important things into your calendar and then take 10 minutes at the end of every day to reconcile it. Mark things complete. Things are not going to get done because real life is going to interrupt you. Make sure you move things to other time slots, etc. So you really do feel like you're getting the important things done and the gravel truly will fall in around it. This is the biggest tweak that I've made in the last two weeks. I, I have long had a, a master to-do list, and I was organizing that based on which I thought were import, most important right now and which were sort of medium level and which were uh, low priority that really I'm not going to probably get to even any time this month. But <laughs> the past two weeks, to actually look at the ones that I would consider to be Q2 uh, activities for this week and then block those out of my calendar has made a huge difference. And then I, I go ahead and block a, a couple buckets that it, it seemed like I, I was it was too complicated for me to try to schedule too many little things in there. So I just like had a bucket for get the get the the medium level important stuff done. You know, here's an hour, get as many of, of those things as I want. But the 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 truly important, the Q2, I was blocking them on my calendar. And uh, it that's where I really felt accomplished. I got to the end of the day and I said, well, I was busy. I didn't get everything done that maybe I would have liked to, but I sure as heck got those two most important things done. Well, great points and congratulations to you. And um, be careful. I heard what you said. I want all your listeners to know this. Only put in a few things. Know that you're going to get interrupted, that there's going to be a lot of stuff coming at you that we can't control. So if you load up your day with tasks, you know, if you schedule too heavily, you're going to feel disappointed because there's just not enough time. I I tend to say, if, you know, depending on the time you have during the day, schedule things for about 50% of it. Um, because, you know, th the worst thing that will happen is you'll have some free time on your hands because you accomplished everything on your, you know, your day and you'll go back to your master tasks and pull in a couple of extra things. The other thing I want to say is that um, I, I have read some things out there where there's some recommendation uh, to be helpful that at the end of the day, you should go back and look and, and say, oh, did I accomplish anything you know, good today? And that that's supposed to give you a feeling of accomplishment. And I um, am cautious about that because it means that I'm just going through a busy day. And at the end of the day, I'm hoping that I got something good done versus being very intentional about these planning systems, weekly daily planning, 3010 promise, getting them in your calendar. And then at the end of the day going, yep, I had scheduled that. I got that done. And by the way, I, I even managed to get a couple of more things done. So I'm trying to go at it from the front of the, you know, the, the day and the week instead of hoping at the end of the day that I got a few things done. You mentioned this, this notion of this 50%, um, which that catches me as hugely important because I, I have had this vague feeling that um, I'm only about as half as productive as I think I should be. I, I get to the end of the day, I look at what I accomplished, and I feel like, you know, that should have only t taken me four or five hours, and yet 10 or 12 hours has slipped by. Or I, 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 I have a task that I blocked out maybe an hour to work on, and I later realized, you know, it took me two hours. So I was 
sort of feeling like this was a problem that I have, but you mentioned that that 50% principle that maybe that it's just a, a, a reality of human nature. Well, you know, that's, there's a whole lot. I'd have to ask you a million questions to understand <laughs> that um, totally and, and uh, discuss it. If you are working on something and you're finding that you, you set aside an hour for the project and you're being interrupted, so it took you two hours, then yes, you should, you know, you should block the time. Uh, and if you know that you have to be interrupted, then you should block two hours to say, you know what, I know I'm going to be interrupted or I know I'm going to need to do these other things, you know, or go to lunch or talk to my mother or whatever it might be. So I'm going to block two hours. So that's correct. That's where the 50% principle comes in. On the other hand, you have to look at yourself and say, am I overanalyzing? Am I too detail oriented? Am I going too far where the project, you know, the level of detail I'm going to is moving me a little into Q3, you know, do you need to personally take responsibility for that to tighten up, you know, to get good work done, but without going into the paralysis stage of detail? Ah, that's that's a very good point. Well, here's another question about the, the 30-10 planning process. And it seems like when I've researched how other people um, have tried using different systems that involve a weekly planning or daily planning, whether that is the Franklin Covey approach or the uh, getting things done GTD approach. It seems like the, a very common place where people get hung up is they, at some point, fall out of the routine of doing that weekly planning and daily planning, especially it seems like the weekly planning is, is pivotal. And I noticed that in myself, where I, I'm a relatively creative person. I get bored pretty pretty quickly with routines. And I wonder, what do you say to somebody who uh, is, has that kind of personality, and now they're coming up on their fifth or tenth week of trying to sit down and do day, uh, weekly planning, and uh, here we go again. I got it's, it's routine. Well, here's, here's what I have to say. Everybody has to do what they want to do. And I think sometimes pain will drive uh, the return. So if somebody is sitting down and doing weekly planning because somebody told them to do it, and that's the only reason they're doing it, you're going to get bored. If you find that it has a, it is a means to an end, then I would suggest that you tell your brain, you know what? I have been doing the weekly, it's sort of like exercise, right? right. You don't want to get out of bed. You know it has a, a good return on it and you feel sort of awful when you let it go. So I'm looking for the same kind of thing here is were you successful? And I heard it in your voice before where you felt really great about the things that you're accomplishing. Well, that's thanks to weekly planning. So you have to think about, did I get the return on investment with weekly planning? And if you did, then you need to tell yourself, you know what, there's a great result from this. I need to stay the course, uh, even though it's not the most exciting thing I want to do, but I do think it's exciting and it will get more exciting because what you're going to find each week is you, at the end of the days, you're going to go, wow, I can't believe how much I got done. And I'm also very blatant in saying if somebody feels like weekly planning or daily planning is not working for them, don't do it. You know, find find something else. And the last thing I'll say is many, many people say to me when I'm keynoting and yesterday I was with a bunch of a, a large amount of people at a large um, 
pharmaceutical company. And uh, he said, you know, I got to get back to it because I realize I am feeling awful. I'm not getting the things done and I should know better. And I realize that this is the way to it. So once you start feeling pain at the end of the days, when you go on, I gosh, I'm back to where I was, then you will choose to return to a system. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, the next choice involving attention management, number four, is about ruling your technology, not letting it rule you. Yes. So, you know, we said before, it's both easier and harder than ever to achieve extraordinary productivity. We've got our systems in place. We know how to discern. We know what's important. We've got our planning systems. It would be a real shame if we allow the technology to, in its addiction, to blindside us. So that's the first thing we need to uncover and come to terms with. And particularly now that we know the quadrants, is you have to ask yourself, personally and professionally, am I using my technology in a Q3, Q4 kind of way? And we see this everywhere. And everybody will tell me, what's the number one addiction? And it's a smartphone. I can't put it down. I can't leave home without it. I pick it up like a pack of cigarettes. I have to look at it. I, you know, whatever. And so when you come into your thinking brain and realize how much of a distraction we're allowed that to be, and you talk about engaging leaders how disengaging hanging onto your smartphone while you try to have a, a conversation or an employee is trying to have a conversation with you or the team, it is killer. Mm-hmm. So for me, if I did nothing else and rule your technology, don't let it rule you, that is the number one area that I suggest people work on is how do I break the addiction? How do I become more intentional about how I'm using my technology? then we can move to aligning technology. Yeah, that, that, there's a lot of wisdom there. And I think it's, it's just an ongoing battle. And uh, in, in that chapter, you provide several tips and, and principles for um, rethinking how you approach uh, technology and how to make sure it's working for you instead of just distracting you. The last choice um, if we move out past attention management, the last choice is focused on energy management. Tell us about number five. So fuel your fire, don't burn out. So this is where people go, oh, this is, you know, where she's going to tell us to sharpen the saw, you know, you got to <laughs> exercise, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And listen, you know, uh, it's, it's part of it. But here's the main point. I've sort of insinuated, I keep saying the thinking brain, the reactive brain, In this 21st century, in a workforce that is really, in many cases, made up of knowledge workers, people are paid to think, innovate, create, and execute. And everything we've said around decision and attention management, the brain is the number one tool. And so the five energy drivers that we stipulate in Fuel Your Fire really are there to improve in order to make sure the brain is getting loads of oxygen and the right nutrients to be able to make high value decisions all day long and to stay focused, you know, all day long and off our technology. And so, and the research around eat, sleep, moving, relaxing, and connecting is astounding when it comes to cognitive ability. So, you know, not moving during the day is the new smoking. It's uh, it's terrible. Not sleeping. People are testing out, you know, if you only get a few hours sleep, there's studies that show that people will test out 
intoxicated. You can't make rational decisions, good decisions in that way. So we really encourage people to pick one of those drivers, get good at it, uh, and really give your brain what it needs to make high value decisions and stay focused. One of the things that got me excited that was very optimistic about the book was, I should say, two. there's two aspects of it. Two parts of neuroscience that f- factor very heavily in the book is, is one, the um, what you just talked about the, try, the more we can get our, our brain to operate in the as in the thinking brain mode instead of the reacting brain mode um, it, it, it we make better decisions we make more proactive decisions and we actually train ourselves to be that way more of the time uh, our brain gets used to acting that way more often and then secondly is that when you, you when you make these choices um, no matter how old we are, the, that I guess it's called neuroplasticity. Yes, we're, we're, we can really tr- retrain our brain to sort of self-select um, and make these choices more automatically. And I found that very exciting. Well, it's really the core of everything. Your reactive brain, the back of your brain, everybody knows what that is. It's when you're driving to work and the car knows how to go by itself while you're thinking about what to have for dinner. That thinking part is the prefrontal cortex where you are mindful, intentional. And that, that's if you can get that concept that you need to stay mindful, you need to stay in your executive function in the prefrontal cortex, Um, And then know that the more you, for instance, work on, I'm going to not pick up my phone when I am engaged with one of my team members, uh, then you will, or weekly planning, like you said before, the more you do that, the more you are rewiring your brain and sending that sort of to the back of the brain for it to become more routinized, more unconscious competency. That's where that comes from. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, it's, it's a great thing that the brain does have this plasticity and we have the ability to do that pretty much at any age. Corey, where can folks find this book? Again, the book is The Five Choices, The Path to Extraordinary Productivity. And, uh, and where can folks find out more about you and your work at Franklin Covey? Well, you can immediately order the book at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, any of the big, you know, the sellers. Uh, your local bookstore might have it as well. Uh, you can go to two websites, uh, not to make it complicated, www.thefivechoicesbook.com, the number five, thefivechoicesbook.com, or simply uh, www.thefivechoices.com and there's a potpourri of videos and blogs and all kinds of stuff people can uh, can enjoy and learn from. Corey Kogan, Global Productivity Practice Leader for Franklin Covey. Thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here, Jesse. Bye-bye. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. Today we talked about five choices to extraordinary productivity. The first two choices focused on decision management. Number one, act on the important, don't react to the urgent. Number two, go for extraordinary, don't settle for ordinary. The second choices focused on attention management. Number three is schedule the big rocks, don't sort gravel. Number four is rule your technology, don't let it rule you. And the last choice is focused on energy management. It's called Fuel Your Fire, Don't Burn Out. 
We didn't have time to dig into two additional topics covered in the book, being a Q2 leader and building a Q2 culture in your organization. So get your hands on the book. Again, it's the five choices to extraordinary productivity. And we'll provide the links that Corey mentioned on our show notes for this episode, as well as links to her Twitter and LinkedIn profiles, plus videos of her recent appearances on the Today Show and MSNBC. You can find the show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 108 as in episode 108. And while you're on the show notes page, you can engage with us by providing your thoughts or questions in the comments section or by clicking the red send voicemail button. You can also engage with us at facebook.com forward slash engagingleader or on Twitter where I am at Jesse Leahy. This is a production of Aspendale Communications a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.